So today we're in Luke chapter 20. If you would like to turn there with me, um, we can read it together. I'm going to read from verse 27 down to the end of the chapter, but really today I'm only going to be looking from verses 41 to 44. But we'll look at it in context beforehand. So beginning at verse 27 from chapter 20 of the Gospel of Luke. Then some of the Sadducees who deny that there is a resurrection came to him, that is Jesus, and asked him, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote to us that if a man's brother dies having a wife, and he dies without children, his brother should take his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. There were seven brothers, and the first took a wife and died without children, and the second took her as a wife, and he died childless. And then the third took her, and in like manner the seven also, and they left no children and died. Last of all, the woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife does she become? For all seven had her as a wife. Jesus answered and said to them, The sons of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are counted worthy to attain that age And the resurrection from the dead, neither marry nor are given in marriage, nor can they die anymore, for they are equal to the angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. But even Moses showed in the burning bush passage that the dead are raised when he called the Lord, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, For he is not the God of the dead, but of the living. For all are alive, all live to him. Then some of the scribes answered and said, Teacher, you have spoken well. But after that they they dared not question him anymore. Then he said to them, How can you say that Christ is the son of David? Now David himself in the book of Psalms said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand and I will make your enemies, or till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore David calls him Lord. How is he then his son? Then in the hearing of all the people, he said to the disciples, Beware of the scribes who desire to go around in long robes, love greetings in the marketplace, the best seats in the synagogues, and the best places at the feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. Amen. Now, last week we looked at Christ's um, confrontation with the Sadducees, this political party who asked this religious question. And we, we saw how Christ silenced them. He didn't play their game. He didn't you know, pander to their, their doubt or their seeking to cause problems. But he challenged them on their lack of knowledge of the scripture. I I read from from Matthew where he says, For you do not know the power of God. Oh no, you do not know the scriptures nor the power of God. 
And he exposed their ignorance. He exposed their lack of faith. And he challenged them. And really this was the, the end of the Sadducees party. I mean this small elite intellectual group. They went on for maybe 10, 15, 20 years later. And then they fizzle out their Philosophical arguments had no ground and people recognized them for what they were and they ended up devouring themselves and are written out of history. The last time we know of them is Paul and his uh, uh, dialogue together with them when he criticizes them and all, all of the, the Pharisees applaud him. Paul challenges them. And what happens then, which is not recorded in, in Luke's gospel, but it's recorded in Matthew and in Mark. One of the scribes say, well, well said, teacher, well said. And what happens is a small micro dialogue between that scribe and Jesus. Where the scribe says, well, what is the greatest commandment of all? And um, is replied, the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, the Lord thy God is one. Shall worship the Lord thy God again, old English. Forgive me. Shall worship the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And then Jesus adds to it, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself by doing this. And there's that little dialogue with this this interested scribe that goes on there, and Jesus challenges them. And then what happens again? If you look in in, in Matthew, I think it's Matthew twenty two. Jesus then poses. A question to that scribe or to those scribes. Remember the scribes were the theologians of their day. They were the ones who were able to to pull apart the law. They were like theological lawyers. And Jesus posed them a question in, in Matthew 22. And he says, what do you think about the Christ? And it's after that question... The Luke begins his record of that account. He, Jesus asks them, what do you think about the Messiah? He goes on the offensive. Now we've, we've seen that during this Passion Week, during this Wednesday day, the chief priests, the Pharisees, the scribes and the elders have been bombarding Jesus with questions. And these are the, the representative representation of the two giant questions that they asked one about taxes the other about the resurrection and Jesus then goes on the offensive begins to talk and he challenges them he asks them and I love that he doesn't even give them an opportunity then to answer the question he just gets their minds thinking in the hearing of the people around and he goes on and again this is where we pick up in our record of this And then Jesus said to them, how can they say that the Christ is the son of David? He quotes in verse 42. Now David himself said in the book of Psalms, and he quotes from Psalm 110. The Lord said to my Lord. I think that's a wonderful situation. If you look in the Hebrew, I don't know Hebrew, but my phone does. And I also have a Strong's Bible dictionary at home. In my dictionary at home, it says, and Yahweh says to Adonai, but we know that, no, not Yahweh, Jehovah says to Adonai, but we would say Yahweh, the Lord, capital letters, L-O-R-D, capital letters, the great 
title for God. Not his name, but his title. Yahweh says to my Adonai. The word there, Adonai, means sovereign Lord, high king. It's another title used, a name used when talking about God. David is saying that the great God, Yahweh, God, says to my sovereign king. And the idea here is, again, almost like God speaking to himself. David is saying that my son is greater than me. It's a very puzzling and difficult verse, especially if you don't believe in that the Messiah is God. Jesus challenged them on who the Messiah was. It was given and accepted in Jesus' day that the Messiah would be a son of David. That was a given. Everybody knew that. Everybody accepted it. They knew the, the covenant promises that God had made David, that one of his family, that his his select, I don't know, his family would live and that they would reign on the throne of David forever. It was a given. It was also universally given in, in, in Jesus' time that Jesus was a son of David. We see this. The beggars of the street knew it. The foreigners knew it. We, we remember those, those, the two different incidents of the beggars who... The blind beggars coming out of Jericho. And then as Jesus is going through Jericho, he meets beggars on the other side. And they cry out, Oh, son of David, have mercy on me. They were inferring that you who are the Messiah. They weren't just saying Jesus David's son. As in, that was his second name. I guess in Hebrew or whatever language, it would be Bar David. We would say David's son. Now, people often say mistake Jesus Christ, the Christ bit for being his second name. I don't know if you ever encountered that. I actually have. People always think that Christ is his second name. They don't realize that it's a title like Messiah, the anointed one, the appointed one, the unique one. Was Jesus actually called Davison? (laughs) You know, I don't know. Davidson. He is recognized as a son of David. And here Jesus is challenging them to their thinking about who the Messiah was going to be. We know from the writings of that time that it was believed that the Messiah would be a political figure. That he would rise up and take control of Palestine, Israel, Excuse the Palestine thing there. Israel. And that he would overthrow the Roman power. Cast off the power of Rome. And take over. And there would be a great Israeli empire. Throughout the east. And that would then spread. And they would take over the world. And all the world would come under Israeli power. Led by this Messiah. One of the sons of David. And that it would be a world power. They believed that the man, he would, he would be a man, a king in the sense of David. That he would do what his father did. He would do what Solomon did. Create a great empire. And Jesus is challenging them on this. He wants them to consider who is the Messiah. 
And we, you and I, are always challenging who do we think Jesus is? Now the cults today in our world, when they attack Christianity, the first person, the first stop they make, the first person, the first attack they go to is upon the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. They always try and undermine his divinity. They always try and present him as, as a lesser being. You know, the, the Mormons see Jesus as a, the, the, the spiritual brother to, to Lucifer. The Jehovah's Witnesses think that he's the archangel Michael incarnate. He's the avatar. He was the avatar of, of the archangel Michael. The Muslims think that he's a, a prophet. A prophet of Allah. Just one of many. The Hindus believe that he's a, a guru. The Buddhists believe that he's an enlightened being, like a, like a Buddha. One who has reached nirvana. The spiritualists believe that Jesus was a medium, not a large. Uh, that he was able to con- commune with spirits. And speak to the people in the spirit world. And then when he died, he became the chief spirit who is able to cross or reach across the thresh, the threshold of the living and the dead. That somehow in some way he's this spirit. There is always an attack upon the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as it is today, so it was there. The people did not know nor believe or were willing to accept that the Messiah would be anything other than a man. A gifted man. A powerful man. A political man. But they were not willing to, rep- to realize or rec- recognize or take upon themselves the belief that he would be anything more than a man. Now Jesus, throughout his entire, from beginning to end, through his entire career, his entire earthly ministry, has always pointed to himself as being God. John the Baptist testified of that even before Jesus stepped into ministry. The first verse of the book of John tells us that God became flesh. That there was was divinity he is the god man jesus is challenging these men as to their perception of the messiah and he uses this verse the lord said to my lord love that it this verse so this yeah this this verse this quote from psalm 110 it's a very widely used verse quote psalm in the New Testament, it's used here in Luke. Paul uses it. Peter uses it. It's used by the, the writer of the Hebrews. <clears throat> there is a, a, an understanding that this is a messianic psalm. Indeed, in Jesus' own day, this was one of the most widely used messianic psalms. It was in the Jewish world, universally accepted to be a messianic psalm. But here Jesus does something 
unbelievable. He, he turns it on his, their head and he, he makes them understand and, and say, well, what does this mean? Uh, when I was reading and studying for this this week, um, I always like to go to the old guys. And um, they said, you know, Jesus presents a logical argument to them, to which there are only two conclusions. Either the Messiah is not the son of David, because he's something greater, or that he is not their ideal, that he is not an earthly political leader. So he's either not the son of David or he's not an earthly political leader. He's something, someone greater. Now, of course, we all understand that he is something greater. He is Adonai, sovereign Lord, the absolute ruler. Not just over the hearts and minds, the hearts and lives of people, but over all creation. Jesus said, quoting that psalm, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. That's a, an allusion, that pointing to, to uh, the book of Joshua, when Joshua takes the kings of Canaan and he sets them under the, the heels of the feet of the people and then they hang them from the trees. Not the people, but the, the kings of the, of the foreign nations. Saying that this Messiah will be seated at the right hand of God, which is a very symbolic place. It, it, it almost, it's like equality with God. That he is at a key place. He's like the prince's place. It is my right hand. The Lord said to my Lord. And again, Jesus pointing out this psalm and then the, the New Testament writers using this psalm. This basically was so popular in the New Testament churches that the Jewish people in the end removed it from being a messianic psalm. They said, no, we don't accept it anymore. And it became the uncomfortable elephant in the room among the Jewish people. They, they recognized and realized that the Messiah had to be someone greater than just simply a man. That the scriptures called him Adonai, the sovereign Lord. But they could not and would not Except that they refused and they removed it from their literature. They kind of put a censor on it. Wouldn't let anybody tweet it out. You know, that kind of thing. Removed it from history. Jesus is challenging them. And, and I also like the fact that he's, he's graciously reaching out to these scribes that he's just had this conversation with. He says to them, you're not far from the kingdom of God. And in his grace, he is reaching out to them and trying to encourage them. And they knew so much. They were so familiar. They were waiting in, in, in expectation for the coming of the Messiah. And yet, they were still outside the kingdom. Their perception 
of who and what the Messiah would be was preventing them from entering in, from attaining that resurrection and becoming a, a citizen of heaven. Jesus is challenging them and reaching out to them, calling to them to come and to believe. And when they're saying, well, well, in their own minds, well, what does the Messiah look like? You can just imagine Jesus going, you know, and here I am. Look no further. What else do you expect from your Messiah? We think of Jesus. We think of him in his great power. And we've seen Luke has told us time and time, given us evidence and evidence supporting that Jesus is more than just a man. The virgin birth, the angelic annunciation, his power over sickness and disease, his power over his power and authority over the spiritual realms, his power over nature and reality. He was able to walk upon the water. He was able to take the loaves and the fishes and multiply them. It wasn't a sleight of hand. It wasn't street magic. He produced food. Just never, it just reproduced itself in his hands. Unbelievable. His power over death. Seen so clearly in the resurrection of Lazarus, which is from a different gospel I know, but Lazarus was dead four days and yet the Lord was able to resurrect him. Raise him from the dead. His power over people. Remember, he was able to drive out the masses from the temple, not just once, but twice. Remember that the crowds tried to gather and stone him when he said, I am. He used that word Adonai again before Abraham was. I am. Pointing to himself to be their answer. And yet they could not lay hands upon him. His wisdom. Has anyone ever spoken like Jesus? Has anyone ever taught like him? With such insight. With such clarity. The things that he said. You know, I would, uh, as a, a Bible student. Not really a scholar, but a student. And I, I look at the teachings of Jesus and what he can say in two or three sentences or half a sentence, you know, then I spend an hour or two hours, uh, a week, a month, trying to explain to you, you know, the, the depth. But if you read it, you get it. There's such power in his writings. Luke has shown us time and time again, when we look for a Messiah, and the evidences of it. When we look for a Christ. One who is sent by God. Or God himself coming in the flesh. Should we look any further? Has anyone ever come anywhere close to the example of Christ? I think I, I told you of my... Um, I had a meeting with a guy when I was in Ireland once when Sarah and I were in Ireland with the kids and his name was Shane. 
And I went to school with him when I was 16. And I hadn't seen him for years and years and years. And we were back in Ireland and he saw it by Facebook. I was in Ireland. He says, Kai, shall we meet up for breakfast? I said, great, let's meet up. So we went out for a, a fry. Sausages, bacon, beans, fried eggs, mushrooms, fried bread, potato bread, soda bread. Big cup of tea. That's why I am the shape I am, brothers. But I loved it. You know all you healthy people who work out and train and diet? You're all going to die one day. You know? All that miserable pain that you put yourselves through. Some of us just enjoy life. We might die quicker, but I get the glory all the faster. You okay? My wife's looking at me going, mm-hmm. So we were having breakfast. And my friend Shane is a devout atheist. He listens to all of those debates amongst atheists. And he has all these answers and all these scientific. He's a very clever man. Very clever man. He comes out with us. We're sitting down and we're, we're eating our breakfast and we're getting, and we're talking. And he says, you know, I just, I find it really hard to believe, Kyle, that you're a pastor. I mean, first of all, you, Kyle, a pastor. And he says, and the second, I find it, it's very hard to believe that you, Kyle, would believe this nonsense. And I was like, what, what are you thinking? So we got talking about the Bible and he tried to share all these, these, um, mistakes and errors and inconsistencies in the scriptures and we got through those and he, and he said well okay I can give you that I can give you that and then he started about religion and I said well I agree with you religion and we talked about the inconsistencies and the errors and the difficulties and the dangers and I said I totally agree with all those things he said well what's your, what's, what's your point then Kyle what keeps you as being a Christian Jesus Christ and he's like what said, has there ever been a man like Jesus Christ he saved me, changed my heart. Not just the, the knowledge of him, but the actual reality of him. And he's, I don't know. We start talking about God then. Jesus being God more than just a man. He said, well, I realize Jesus is a good man and everything. And he taught very well. And I love the whole love your neighbor as yourself. And don't do anything to anyone you wouldn't have them do to yourself. But I think that's all he was. We think we've, we've, we've you know, misrepresented him as being God. I mean, he never said himself, was he God? He never made that statement. I said, no, you're wrong. He actually did. And he said, well, I just don't think we could ever understand God. He said, okay. And this is from a devout atheist. So he moved from being an atheist to a Gnostic. You know? It's from being someone who didn't really know if there was a God or not. I think that's what a Gnostic is, isn't it? Or one, a Gnostic. Oh, yeah. One who wasn't sure. Open that there was a God or there's not. And I said, well... He said, I don't think God, I don't think we could understand God. I think he was so big and so massive and so beyond our comprehension. We'd be like ants around his feet and we would, or amoebas on, on his skin. We, we, he, we wouldn't be able to understand him. I, said, I think you're absolutely right. I think God is so beyond our comprehension that if he came down, we'd all die from fright, you know. It'd be like putting a candle next to the sun. It would just melt and be nothing left. He was like, yeah, I think you're right. I said, you know, what would it take for God to be able to come down and communicate to us? And he says, well, it would have to come down and, you know, he'd have to be like, like one of us. We'd, we'd have to be able to, to be able to, like, see him and touch him and be able to relate to him. I said, I think you're absolutely right. I said, well, would it be enough for him just to come down and just, you know, like Star Trek? Because I know my friend's a Star Trek-y kind of guy. I know the, 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 where they just beam down to the planet. But if he just, God just beamed down in the shape of a man... Would that be enough? He said, no. Because we wouldn't, my friend said to me, he wouldn't be able to relate to us because, you know, he's God. He's like so much bigger than we are. He would, he'd have to like, you know, 
live a life like we live, know the hardship. And I was like, I think you're absolutely right. I think you're absolutely right. You can see where this is going. And I said, well, so, you know, what else would it take? And he said, well, no, you'd have to prove himself that he is God, of course. He'd have to wander around. He'd have to talk to people. He'd have to show himself. He'd have to give evidences of who he is. I said, you're absolutely right. I think you're absolutely right. He'd have to show that he's more than just a man, wouldn't he? He'd have to do something in some way. Absolutely. I said, well, is that enough? And he said, well, you know, I think that's a, that would be enough. I said, well, you, there are some things you didn't consider there. See, the difficulty that, between God and man is that the Bible says that we are sinners. That we have broken his law and that we stand condemned as criminals. And that he cannot communicate to us because the offensiveness of our nature forbids him. He cannot look upon us and say, friend, because we are criminals by nature. And I know that my friend understood this because my friend's dad had been convicted of cannabis growing, major cannabis growing, and he got sentenced for many decades in prison. And I said, your dad was guilty of this crime and he got convicted and he got sentenced and he got Put in jail. Could the judge look at your dad, who got caught red-handed with a product in his garden, and say, you're forgiven? Could he look at him and say, though you are guilty, you don't have to to, uh, pay the cost? And my friend said, no, there's no way, no, no. I said, well, does that consume the God in us? So how, how do you get around that? I said, I don't know, I don't know. You, that God who had to come down and live a man's life and demonstrate who he was and what it was, he then would have to give himself for our crimes. And my friend said, I think that's the only way out. And I said, now you understand why I appreciate the Lord Jesus Christ. For all the things that you and I have said, my friend said, I think you're right. Well, that's, he said, that's really interesting. Do you have any, 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 any other stuff that I could... I said, you know, have you ever listened to a man called James White? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, these debaters, because my friend's very intelligent. He likes to listen to debates. And I said, well, you should listen to this man, James White. He's very intelligent. And so I sent him some links, and a few days later, he said, I've been listening to this guy. He makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. We must always remember who the Lord Jesus Christ is. We must remember that he's more than just a man. He's God. He is our Adonai. He is our sovereign king. But he's also our Yahweh. He is not an expression of God. He is God. And that should challenge you and I. As Jesus was challenging the scribes when he said these things, he was challenging them to the fact of, who is the Messiah to you? Is he your Adonai, your sovereign king? Because you can believe in a Messiah and recognize, you can even recognize that Jesus is an important person, a person sent by God, and yet still have no relationship to him. He is just the Messiah, or a Messiah, or a potential Messiah. 
who is Christ to you? It is here that he's reaching out the hand in friendship. Because either he becomes your Messiah, he either becomes your representative before God, your sacrifice, the one whom you're trusting, you're trusting in his effort on your behalf, or you become one of those of whom it's speaking in this verse, till I make your enemies your footstool. He is either your sovereign or your conqueror. He's the one who either brings deliverance or he is the one who will crush you beneath his heel. We're so brought up with this image of Jesus as the nice, friendly, lovely Jesus. You know the shepherd. You know I hate that shepherd thing. I know I say it all the time, but I hate that picture where he has the lamb around his neck, you know, and there's children falling on him everywhere. He's got that perfect shampooed hair. He looks like Joel, wee bit, you know, with a beard. That's not Jesus. Certainly not the Jesus who is to come. The Bible says that when he returns, he will not return as the lamb, but he will return as the lion, as the conqueror, as the one who shall subdue the nations. He shall put his, all his enemies shall be put, placed under his feet. Is Jesus Christ your Adonai? Beloved, Christ here in the very last hours perhaps. This is on the Wednesday afternoon this is happening. So Golgotha is coming. Gethsemane is coming. And yet even here at the end, at the, at, the, at the very border of his ministry time, he is still reaching out to those who are his professed enemies, those who are zealously trying to capture him and convict him and murder him. And yet here is Jesus reaching out a hand of friendship. Jesus Pointing out that the Messiah is to be more than just a representative, a representative, more than just a, a national king. He is to be your Messiah. He is to be your king. You have to have a personal relationship with him. It's not enough to have head knowledge. It's not enough to know the scriptures and to know what culturally is accepted about him. But is he your Lord and your King? He asks the question in verse 44. Therefore David calls him Lord. How is he his son? The idea in the Eastern world that no father could ever call his son Lord. No father would ever acknowledge that his son is greater than him. That... that, that, that whole idea is foreign to Middle Eastern cultures because they, they respect the elderly. They respect the, what, the ancient ones. There is a, it's tremendous cultural respect there. And yet Jesus is pointing out that David 
moved by the Holy Spirit, as it says in the Gospel of Mark, is moved to say that the Messiah is his Lord. Something more than just his son. Something more than just his descendant. That even the great King David had to bow the knee and accept him as his king. As his saviour. As his Messiah. And if David, the great king, had to then bow the knee and accept the sovereignty of the Messiah over him, how much more then do the scribes have to acknowledge? How much more do you and I have to acknowledge? Beloved, let's not miss this opportunity. Let's not put it aside and forget about it. Let's not neglect that handship, that hand of friendship. Let's recognize that Jesus is the Messiah. Let's lift him up and make much of him. All too often we in church make much of our conservatism. We make much of our church meetings. We make much of our fellowship and our friendship. But beloved, you and I are to make much of our Messiah. We are to lift him up. We're not to try and entice the people of this world. We're not to try and entertain people. We are to point them to our Messiah. To challenge them. And I like what Jesus did in the face of these scribes. What do you think about the Christ? Do you think about the Christ? Or is he a secondary issue? He's not even on the board really. The greatest question that you will ever face in life is what do you think about the Messiah? Who is Jesus Christ to you? That is a question with an eternal consequence. Beloved, let us not be so hard-hearted, blinded, dumb to ignore such an important question. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you. For this time, we pray, O oh Lord God, that you would help us, that you would encourage us and strengthen us. But Lord, we pray most of all that you would speak to our hearts. That Lord, even when our voice has silented, that your voice, that your words would speak into our hearts. Lord, you are so gracious and so good. Lord, we, your followers, are truly guilty of not always putting you first. Lord, of not thinking about you, the anointed one, the the unique one, the special one, the representative of God, that, Lord, we are taken up by other things. We do pray you'd help us. We ask this, O Lord, for your glory and your glory alone in Jesus' precious name. Amen.